Hello and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Nehemiah 2 verses 1 to 10? Nehemiah 2 verses 1 to 10. I'm going to ask Jess to to read it for us. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one or you don't have it electronically like Jess, uh, there's one at the entrance. We'd love to give you a Bible. It's our gift to you. Uh, It's free of charge. Um, Please take it and uh, and use it as best as you can. Uh, Please don't use it to make sure your table isn't uh, wobble at home. Uh, But I think I don't want to assume everyone's got a Bible, but I understand many people might be electronic. So Nehemiah 2 verses 1 to 10. Hi, everybody. Nehemiah sent to Judah. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, hmm, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah in the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given, uh, sorry, letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Ten. That was ten? Oh, sorry. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and the Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Thank you, Jess. No <laughs> so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we started a series looking at Nehemiah and his life, and we're going to journey through the book. And uh, the, the title of the series is God Among the Ruins. Is we really believe that... Uh, that God has done some amazing things and he wants to uh, sort of blow his spirits into what we are doing and rebuild something of what represents his kingdom, represents his heart, represents who he is. Uh, if you want to know what those things are, then you can come, come speak to us. But we really felt like prophetically when we transitioned the leadership, we felt like God was telling us to uh, the same thing that Nehemiah did. And we're going to get into that is he examined the wall to see what needed to be repaired. And in uh, Isaiah 61 verse 4, uh, God commanded Isaiah to rebuild up, uh, to build up, to raise up and to repair what had been broken. So um, 
that's where uh, that's sort of the heart of what we're wanting to to see achieved through this book. If you if you weren't here for the introduction, Nehemiah, uh, a, a commentator, says this: more than anyone other than Jesus, he is an example of a man who got things done for God. So obviously Jesus did a lot for the kingdom; he is the kingdom, uh, but. Next to Jesus, uh, there were a lot more other people, but Nehemiah was one of those men that when God spoke, he just did. He, he really just rolled up his sleeves and got, get, got going in what uh, God had for them. Amen? So that's the, that's the, the heart of, of where we're at. I need to just push pause. My almost 12, 11-year-old son was inside the church, uh, the meeting yesterday. He normally he sometimes serves with the kids. And uh, he rebuked me and corrected me after church. And I was like, sheepers, Lord, what has happened? I mentioned it was the Babylonians that uh, were in charge right now. It is not the Babylonians. It is the Persians. The Persians did become the Babylonians. I was, my head was stuck in church history looking at everything. So uh, my 12-year-old son corrected me. So I thought I'll just uh, bring you all onto, onto uh, he's not wrong, uh, my timeline was a little bit wrong last week. So rebuke taken. Thank you, Titus. I will correctly say it was the Persians and it was the Persian king. Back into it. Back into Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, the, the, the thing we drew, drew out last week is this word servant. We see it again, a servant of God. Now servant in, in our understanding probably has a negative connotation. But really the, the, what we drew out is a servant is... Um, it's the action and obedience. It's getting along and doing something obediently for the sake of God. That's what the word servant sort of is representing and means when we hear it. It's not someone who just does what we don't want to do. No, it's this privileged place to be able to do what the Father says, what God asks. Um, it's, it's a very similar heart you see with David. David was uh, commended by God. He was found to be a man after God's own heart. He was willing to do everything that God asked of him. So I think there's a great heart that is, that is understood in this word servant. Is, it's a man after God's own heart who's willing to do everything. So just, just note that when you see servant mentioned um, and he's described as a servant, it's not just this like slave or this hireling. No, it's someone who had this privileged position to be able to hear what God was saying or hear what the king was saying and being able to do it. There's a shift that takes place now in, if, in Nehemiah 1. Uh, Nehemiah got the, got the, the report that the city, the, the city of Jericho was in ruins and there was this inner turmoil. There's this inner sort of reaction that Nehemiah went, to, went through. And Nehemiah 2 shifts to, now that he's gone through this thing in private, he's had this private adjustment, um, he's grieved, he's prayed, he's trusted. It's, it showed a lot about how he reacted and, and what he wanted to do. Now it shifts to, okay, he's still got to get on with what God's got for him. He's still got to carry on doing what he's doing. Uh, and it's this, this adjustment, the best way of being able to describe it, and sort of the overarching topic is the topic of faith. Matthew 17 verse 20 says this, it says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. 
and nothing will be impossible for you. My theology gets in the way there. I don't know if a mountain can move. I, don't, I understand the hearts and I understand we need to believe everything in the Bible, but I, I'm like, cheapers, what kind of faith do you have to have to, to be able to speak to a mountain and see a mountain just be like, just change, uh, talk about what impact it might have on global warming or heating or I don't know what things are. But, uh, but Jesus is speaking and he's saying that we have to have faith. And faith is important, but sometimes we feel like we have to have big faith. Or, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't have faith for this. I'm like, well, faith is described as small as a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is minute. It's like the, 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 the head of a pin. So it doesn't, the measure of faith we need is, is small, but the, the, the measure of faith produces a big result, Right? It's a small bit of faith moves a big mountain. And I think what's, what's saying there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I don't literally think Jesus is saying we're going to move mountains, but I do literally believe that Jesus is saying, if you have a small amount of faith in me, it will seem like you can do anything. that nothing will be impossible for you. I don't think it's an excuse for us just to, you know, say God's going to give me a Ferrari. Well, if you can move a mountain, he can give me a Ferrari, right? Surely that's like, why not? Ferrari's smaller than a mountain, at least moves. No, I think it's faith in Jesus, faith in who he is. If you, if you know the rest of Matthew, beginning of Matthew 17, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. There's such a lot that goes into that, but he, as a man, shouldn't be speaking to her, but he speaks to her. He introduces her to a relationship with him because she was a sinful woman and she was on her seventh husband or fifth husband. Uh, and it was, a, it was a mess. But in the middle of it, she gets saved. She loves Jesus now. She wants to follow him. And he's saying, well, this is going to require faith. It's going to require what seems like a little bit of faith, but that little bit of faith is going to result in big things. So what is involved in acting in faith for God? Once we have a word from God, we boldly can move forward on it. Once we've heard something from God, we can boldly take steps to say we're going to see that happen. Jesus has a simple teaching that whatever obstacle is in your way can be removed if our faith is in Him. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is God commanding you to do? What is God, I, I, I wrestled with writing this down of the word command because I don't want to see God, I don't want your views of God to be like, He's just this guy who just tells you what to do and I, you know, He commands you. No, but what he says in the word is a command. It shouldn't be a suggestion. I think half the problem we have is we take God's, what he says as, well, maybe if I feel like it, I will do. No, he commands us to love him and love our neighbor. There's no other way of saying it. It's not like an added suggestion. It's a, it's a command to love him more and that love will be shown to our neighbors. So what is God commanding you to do? You might not have this specific command like I did. If you haven't heard by now, I'm not a native to New York. I am born in South Africa, raised in Johannesburg, South Africa, chose uh, 
queens by choice, not by birth, uh, came here to plant a church and uh, joined together with Journey, and we're on a journey, uh, figuring out, leading this all. But it's, I, I had a very specific command from God to leave my country and come to this country. You might not be in that place. You might not have heard something like that. But then you fall into the category of all of us, when we read the Bible, we see the commands of loving God and loving our neighbor. So it's not like, well, Craig, you're doing it so you can, you, you, you've done well. No, we all, have, we all should know some of God's commands, if not the greatest, to love Him and to love our neighbor. Another author said this, I was reading about this. He said, true faith in God brings a calmness to our heart that keeps us from rushing about and trying to do it on, in our own strength, what God can only do. What only God can do. I love that. I'm the type of person, I, I mentioned this last week, my wife speaks to me and she tells me her problems, what do I want to do? I'm a good husband. I want to solve all of them right there and then. I've got a list of actions, do this, do this, do this. But 90% of the time, that's not what my wife wants. She just wants me to listen. And that is the hardest thing to do. Is just be present and just listen to her problems and not get involved and try and solve them but when it comes to faith, true faith is actually not trying to do it by ourselves. Because it's only stuff that God can do. Only God can do this. Only God can, can give you more of his kingdom. Only God can help you do this. Yes, we play a part. But it's actually this true faith is this calmness of knowing he's in control. And with faith in him, a little bit of faith in him can flatten mountains. Amen. The next thing that Jesus teaches after Matthew is about his kingdom. He goes in and says, well, this faith is going to help you inherit the kingdom of God. So as there's the shift in Nehemiah's life now, Nehemiah's ministry and what Nehemiah is doing, he's in the exact same place. He's looking at this thing of faith. And I want to look at three things that, that we can draw out from Nehemiah. It's like this, 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 this uh, character assessment of him. And the first is he had the faith to wait. That's not the most popular topic right now. Who enjoys waiting? No one's hands going up. Who enjoys going to the doctor at 10.25 because that's when your appointment is and waiting for another 35 minutes? No one. You've read every magazine because your cell phone batteries died because you forgot to charge it or whatever's happened. No one enjoys waiting. But Nehemiah was in this unique place where he had faith to wait for God. He had faith to wait for God to do what God needed to do. If you, if you look in the Bible and it says there in the month of uh, Nisan in the 20th year. Now, scholars get paid, <laughs> have, get paid way more than I do to be able to understand these timelines and everything. They say it was between five to six months from when, 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 when um, Nehemiah had got the report that his, uh, his, that the walls had been, had been burnt down and broken and uh, uh, Jerusalem was, was laid bare. It was five to six months of him just waiting. This inner turmoil. Now, for us, it's, okay, chapter one, next chapter, chapter two, it might just be like this. It just follows on. No, there was this period of waiting. There was this period of, of, of 
Nehemiah's heart was gripped. He was, he was changed inside of him as something. He wanted to see something done, but he needed to wait. There's this, there's this understanding of him just, it wasn't just a, 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 a waiting and doing nothing. He had to hold on to his faith. He had to hold on to the faith that God's plans and purposes were still going to come true. But he was waiting for an answer. I love Jess's little, um, little reenactment there when the king spoke. He's like, hmm. So there's this, there's this waiting. There's this waiting for this moment. There's this understanding that, uh, that, that when I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, I want something to happen. But Nehemiah knew that if he had to rush in and just be like, hey, king, this has happened. This has happened. I've, I need to go. I need to go. The king would have been like, what the heck is going on? It's like as a parent, when you wake up and you have all three kids staring at you and they just start offloading of what they want for the day and you're like, whoa, can I just get coffee, please? This brain does not function until my two feet are on the ground and I've had some sort of level of caffeine. It's this understanding that Nehemiah could have rushed ahead and tried to do it in his own strength, but he had the faith to wait for God. And then suddenly breakthrough came in verse 4. As he's waiting on the king, as he's, as he's the cupbearer, he, he's in this place of privilege of, 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 uh, of giving wine to the, to the king. And the king can see that he's, uh, he's, uh, he's affected by something. He's, it says, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. There was the, 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 suddenly... The king who probably enjoyed having Nehemiah around because it meant that if there was something wrong with the wine, he would die and the king wouldn't die. So he was a handy person to have around. But there was something inside the king that saw that he was grieved by something. There was the sudden moment. Now, how many times had Nehemiah given that king wine in the last four to six months? Probably multiple times throughout the day. But at that moment, God intervenes. At that moment... As, as Nehemiah was waiting, he had faith to wait. The next thing leads is he had faith to ask. He had faith to ask. Then the, then the king said to, uh, said to me, what are you requesting? In his asking, what is the very first thing that Nehemiah does? So I pray to God of, of heaven. And I love this. It's, uh, Nehemiah is like this. Nehemiah's writing, you know, like, this is what happened. I said this, and then the king said this, and then I said this, and I did this. But then there's these moments where he's like, he jumps to like the, out of the situation. He's like, well, I had to pray at that moment. It's not just this run of events, not just, you know, giving uh, uh, the highlights. It's this into, it's, we, we into his relationship of being like, okay, suddenly this opportunity, the king cared about me. So what do I do? I pray. What's the first thing he does is he's praying a different kind of prayer. Now, if you, understand, if, if, if you take a step back, last week we looked at Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, and it was this, it was this different type of prayer. Now we introduce this is, is as God opens the door, as suddenly the door is open for Nehemiah to get there, what does he do? His prayer changes to a different kind of prayer of, okay, God, give me the right words to say in this moment. 
He's in front of the king. The king is there. He, he, the king is asking, he's inviting Nehemiah to have an opinion in what's going on. One of the commentators says in verse 6, you can see that it says, and the, and the king said to me, and in brackets it says, the queen sitting beside him, and one of the commentators says that it's, a, it's, it's, it's important to note that Nehemiah probably wouldn't have got that same response from the king if the queen wasn't there. Because guys, generally when, when women are around, they're a little bit more caring. My kids agree. <laughs> when mom's around, dad's a little bit more caring. But uh, they say that if the queen wasn't there, the king probably could have just been like, can you stop complaining and get away from me? Can you stop looking like you're miserable and go do whatever? But because the queen was there, he showed compassion. And God worked those circumstances out in an amazing way for him now to present what he needed. Now, Nehemiah had been waiting for six months to have this conversation. It's one of those awkward conversations you have to have. But God opened the door. And it's now time to, to, to bring his request. The question I want to ask you is when the opportunity comes for you to do it, are you ready to walk through the gap that God gives, or the door that God opens? You see, it wasn't Nehemiah prayed, but he had probably rehearsed this over in his head a hundred times. You know when you've got to have a tough conversation with a boss or someone, you've had this conversation 15 times. And if you're like me, I've had the conversation, I've, I've worked through every scenario I've, you know, if this happens, what do you do? If this happens, what do you do? If this happens, what do you do? I've overthought it a million times. But it's a, it's a preparing. It's a God was preparing Nehemiah for the opportunity that he was giving Nehemiah. And at that opportunity, he was ready. Now, I don't know where, what, what, what God's got for you. I don't know where you at. Um, I don't, you know, do we have faith if you may be trusting God to change your heart or change your situation or see breakthrough or wanting to, something in your life to change? Well, is your faith in Jesus? Are you waiting with faith in Jesus? Are you waiting for that opportunity? Do you have the faith, like Nehemiah had to ask the question, do you have the faith when Jesus presents the opportunity to step into it, to change, to make the change you need to do, to make the adjustments you need to make? to pivot, to, make the, to, to, to do whatever you need to do. If God's got his finger on something and you've been trusting for a while and the opportunity arises, what are you going to do when that opportunity arises? Now, it would be great to say, let's close the book and you know, off went Nehemiah into the, into the sunsets and everything was fine. But the third thing about faith is he had faith in God's plan. We have to understand this. He had faith to wait. He had faith to ask. But he had faith in God's plan. Because often we wait. Often God gives us the moment. But then we try and do our own thing. Or we try and work it out ourselves. Why is this a significant thing? If you have ever done anything. I speak from experience. If you've tried to step out of the boat or maybe try and follow God or try and, uh, you know, with a person, you're trying to become more like God. 
Uh, for us, it was you know, planting a church in, in New York was, was intimidating, and that was the road that we had to live in. But whenever, whenever God's asked you to do something, maybe it's when you were saved for the first time. Was it easy? Sometimes there's this theology out there in different churches that like, the moment you get saved, your life just becomes so much more better. It's, you know, this just all the problems fall away. You're free from every problem. I speak to my wife nicely. My kids are so obedient. My wife's obedient. I'm obedient. Everyone's just like, how art thou, my dear wife? And she speaks to me in, you know, Old King James Version. And it's just this amazing, no, the reality is we are still people, right? And often the time when we, when we, uh, give our hearts to the Lord or we choose to pursue Jesus or we have those moments where we're like, God, I want more of you or this New Year's resolution is more of Jesus, less of me. I want to go to church. I want to do this. I want to do that. Life tends to just not play ball, right? Maybe the kids, maybe you, maybe your bad decisions, your kids, whatever bad decision. I want to blame the kids and the wife for everything. We have some, we have some role to play. But Nehemiah is probably in this place where he thought, I've got it. The king is on board now. The king understands what I need. I want, he, he's almost like gives him the whole, the full reign. He says, I need letters to be able to cross over the river to get your um, um, wood from your forest to go rebuild my house and the wall. I need, I need you to basically resource everything I've got, uh, everything I want to do in restoring the wall. It seems like it is perfect, perfect scenario. But opposition, but things don't go as planned. And it seems to be a pattern that we see in Nehemiah and we see unfold a little bit more in, in the book. It says, but when Sanballat, the Heronites and Tobiah, the Ammonites servants heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, those, whenever you see uh, Hammerites or Amorites or Hittites or Parasites or whatever they are, it's always the Ites, always the guys who are against the Israelites. They're always the guys who were, were at war with them, the different tribes. The, these two people, commentators, and when I was reading about, they say they were actually, they were actually Jews that were so heavily influenced by the Persians that they turned on their own people. So they were able to, they, were, they had access to all the resources to restore the wall. They could have done it. They could have been the people that restored and, and, and got on with what, what needed to happen. They, apparently there was like 50,000, no? Yeah, there was a, probably about 50,000 Jews living in and around uh, 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 Jerusalem with this wall and not you know not built there was no safety in this there was no citadel that they were that that analogy of the the safe place for them to get to there was none of that and these two guys had the opportunity but God speaks to Nehemiah Nehemiah waits for the opportunity the opportunity comes he gets the resources and now what do they do why are you rebuilding the wall who gives you the right to do it why, why should the Israelites be able to rebuild the wall? There's this, there's this, the, 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 the testimony comes of how good God was to Nehemiah, but there's this opposition that comes. It displeased them. They were in such a bad shape that they couldn't understand why Nehemiah 
was winning, why Nehemiah was able to do it. There are going to be doubters. There are going to be haters. But it's about silencing their opinions. It's about silencing what they're saying and looking and focusing on who God is and what He has said. Who God is and what He has said. Nehemiah could have at that point been like, well, you're right. What gives me the rights? I'm going to just back off. But he pushes through and we'll, we'll carry on looking at the coming weeks of, of what uh, uh, Nehemiah did. But there's this, there's this understanding that when it gets tough, we bail. It's a little bit, little bit of discomfort and I'm not going to do it. A little bit of discomfort and we're going to stop pursuing God. A little bit of discomfort of maybe everyone seems like they're sick on a Sunday morning. Well, let's trust that as we get to church that everyone will be fine. And 90% of the time with my family, they all wake up feeling like the worst they felt the whole week on Sunday. And by the time they get to church, they're okay. Or maybe it's I overslept again. Well, that's fine. Let's reset and focus our lives on Jesus, whatever God has his finger on, whatever he's challenging on us. Maybe it's you've gone around and around and, and, and you just have every obstacle against Christ and receiving Jesus and, and accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this is an opportunity to say, I'm not going to listen to all the opposition. I'm going to put my faith in you, Jesus. The songs we sang, the thing about faith, it's not just about this mystical thing. It's about this calmness in our hearts, a calmness in our soul that he wants to bring us. When we put a little bit of faith in Jesus, he's able to move mountains. He's able to do something with us. He's able to send a Israelite to Persia under persecution to become the cupbearer to the king to get access to every Persian resource to rebuild what God wanted to do for his kingdom. What's holding us back? We need a little bit of faith to access everything God's got for us in his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Lord God, whatever lie of the enemy is going through our hearts and our minds, I pray, Lord God, we'll put a little bit of faith in you. We'll put a little bit of faith in who you are. We'll put a little bit of faith in what you teach and your character. And Lord God, I pray we will see your kingdom come we looked at it last week your not 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 our will but your will be done lord god as is as it is in heaven may it be on earth lord god pray lord jesus that we won't focus on on all opposition that we're coming up against but lord god you've worked our circumstances in our lives for such a time as this Everything that we have going for us, everything that um, we're standing against, everything that has happened has happened for a reason and it's to bring us to this point to say yes to Jesus and trust for more of his kingdom. And I pray we do that today, Lord God. Be with us, Lord Jesus. I pray the decisions we have to make this coming week uh, to, to pursue you above everything will be made with ease, Lord God. And when opposition comes, we'll look to you. We'll trust you.
Be with us, Lord God. Amen.